Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the uh, Gospel uh, according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew. Last night we talked about, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 7, last night we talked about how darkness reigns. Uh, we talked about the decision that Adam and Eve made at the polling booth, <laughs> the decision they made for, for a new presidency at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that from that point on, according to, to Romans chapter 5, death reigned. Darkness reigned from that point on because of the vote of that one man, the vote of that one man, Adam and Eve. And, and the Bible tells us that there was another vote that was cast. There was a vote to save man, for, for, for Jesus Christ to come, and although his heel would be, be, would be uh, uh, bitten by the serpent, he would crush the head of the serpent. He decided, without our permission, to justify us, to redeem us, to reconcile us. So because of the sin of one man, death reigned. We all became sinners. Now because of the one righteous act of Jesus, because of his obedience, we all have been made righteous. It was a good word. It was a good word. So we learned last night not to blame everything on God. Every time something happens wrong, we want to blame God. And God basically says this to us, I didn't make that vote. <laughs> we want to say, God, why do bad things happen? And the Bible tells us that sin, iniquity, it is a mystery. We want to find out the reason why bad things happen. I'm going to tell you right now, you won't find a reason because sin is unreasonable. Bad things happen because we live in a world of chaos. We even went as far to say, now please brace yourself, this is going to hit you a certain way. We even went as far as to say is that this world that we live in is out of control. God is not controlling what happens on this planet. God gave control over to Adam and Eve in the garden. We discussed that the, the very first night. God gave control over to Adam and Eve in the garden. And what did they do with that control? What did they do with that dominion? They turned it over to the devil. And the devil became the prince and ruler of this world. And so Jesus, the light of the world, came in so that he can overthrow the darkness. He can overthrow the ruler, the prince of this world. To break his power, to break his is bind on us. Now, I know that makes you feel uncomfortable. Every time I say something like that, people go, oh, no, God is in control. He's all-powerful. He is all-sovereign. I'm like, yes, yes, the all-powerful God gave power over to us. Remember when Pilate and him were having this conversation and Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to crucify you? And Christ says, that power didn't come from you. That power came from my Father. It's not that God is not Superman. It's not that Christ is not Superman. We believe he's Superman. He has super strength and he has x-ray vision and heat vision and he can fly. But the issue is not that he's Superman and what God can do. It's what God chooses to do. And God chooses, even though he is Superman, to walk around as Clark Kent. Even though he does have x-ray vision, he wears glasses. Even though he can fly, he chooses to walk. It's not about what God can do, it's what God chooses to do. And what we've learned in our journey so far is that God chooses to give over power to us. He's allowed us to make choices, and we have made some really bad choices. 
God accepts our choices. He accepts our choices. We even learned last night that even Calvary itself, the cross itself, was not God's choice. God didn't invent it. God wasn't the one that invented crucifixion. God wasn't the one that inspired Pilate and Judas to play the part. God wasn't the one that wrote the script to the Passion of the Christ. We wrote the script. It was our choices. Just because God knew it would happen didn't mean that God wanted it to happen. But God accepted our will for him. He accepted what we wanted to do to him. He did it all to rescue us. He was tired of us running away from him in the garden. He was tired of us hiding because we were ashamed. He was tired of us fleeing because of the darkness. So he comes down to our level. He he comes down into darkness so that we may see. So here we are in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Some of his his haters are around. And they're upset with him and they've fought with him time and time again about where he gets his power from. And I like what Jesus says here. Verse 17, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Let us pray. Father, it is now in this moment that we trust you with our hearts and our minds. We desire to connect with you and to know the true light. Thank you for giving us this moment that we may see. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Every good tree bears good fruit. This is repeated by Jesus a number of times in the gospel. Your power is from the devil. How can that be? A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. It is impossible for a good tree to bear bad fruit. Impossible for a bad tree to bear good fruit. I like the way that sounds. I really do. It sounds logical, doesn't it? Very logical. Here's my problem. I've borne bad fruit. And so have you. So what does that say about us? I've also, in my heart, believed that I have borne good fruit. So what does that mean? You want to hear another text that's so difficult, I wish it wasn't in the Bible? I'm going to read to you another text. Actually, I want you to read it along with me. 1 John chapter 3. This text is so difficult that I wish I could rewrite it. John was dealing with a a rogue group in the church. He was dealing with a a Christian sect that was teaching things that John believed were contrary to Jesus' teachings. 
They were called Gnostics. Gnostics were people that believed that all you had to do was simply have the knowledge of God. Just the knowledge of God. Just just the knowledge of God and you were in the right. You would be fine. That you would never be burned up in the fire like a bad tree. That would never happen to you. It didn't matter what you did in the flesh. It didn't matter what your carnal nature was pushing you to do. It doesn't matter what the temptations were. You could give into it because the flesh was all going to be consumed one day. As long as you knew God in the spirit, you would be saved. That's all Gnostics believed. So be a hedonist. Do as you please. Just have the knowledge. And John, who had been preaching this, John, who had said even in John 17, 3, and we read this last night, for life eternal is that you may know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This, this is John believes in this. It is not what you know, but it is who you know. So John believes in this intimate knowledge, but he's fighting against this other group in the church, and he's wanting to shut it down. So listen to what he says. He says, see, verse 1, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are, the reason the world does not know us that it, because it did not know him. This goes back to our first night when the Bible says that Jesus came into the world as the light, but his people did not know him. They did not recognize him. So John is going back to this. They didn't know him, and they don't know us. They didn't get him, and they surely don't get us. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Put a pin there. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope. In him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. We know this text very well. We use it all the time, right? Sin is lawlessness, the Bible says. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. This is the verse I don't like. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. I wish John stopped here, but he doesn't. It's like he keeps writing. Verse 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work to destroy the darkness, to obliterate the darkness. This is the reason why the Son of God came. This is what John also says in his gospel in in chapter 1. The Son of God came to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who are the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does what is right, who does what is right, I mean, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Ouch, 
ouch, and all caps, ouch. What in the world do we do with this text? Jesus tells us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world, and that we cannot be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. We're the salt of the earth. And he says, and if you lose your saltiness, then you are worthless. You'll be, you'll be just trampled on. If you are light, then you must shine bright. It cannot be hidden under a bowl or a bushel. I always said, hide it under a bush. I always thought it meant a bush. I'm like, why would you put fire in a bush together? It just, it, it just sounded like it was a bad combination. But hide it under a bowl, a bowl. No way. We don't do that kind of stuff. You're a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. This, this, if, if you are children of God, then you act like children of God. Then you do righteous things. And if you're doing sinful things, that means you're really children of the devil. This is scary because I don't know anyone that I have ever come in contact with on this earth who is this righteous. And I know that everyone I've come in contact with bear bad fruit. So we're all bad trees. What do we do with that? In the gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, it's also recorded in in other gospel accounts, The Bible tells us that there is a young man that comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do in order to be saved? It's a good question, right? Anybody? Good question? Think it's a good question? That's why most of you are here. You you want to be saved. It's kind of why we do this Christianity thing. We 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 just want to be saved one day. What must I do to be saved? And Christ says, why do you call me good for there is only, what does Christ say? There is only one who is good. Only one. If you want to enter into life, obey the commandments. Which ones? Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, honor your parents. He stops them. Boom. I've already done all that. You're talking about the law of Moses? Nailed it. He says, what else do I lack? Christ then says to him, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, pure as your heavenly Father is pure, true as your heavenly Father is true. If you want to be perfect, sell all you have, give the money to the poor, and follow me. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not sure if you caught this, but Jesus basically says, okay, so you've obeyed the law of Moses. You've done that perfectly. I've done it perfectly. Exactly as Moses has instructed, I am righteous. I am good. I am holy as the Father is holy. Christ says, that's great. I'm going to give you something else, something that's not in the Old Testament, something you've never read before. 
If you want to be perfect, you want to take it next level, you want to take it next gen, this is what you're going to do. Sell all you have, give the money to the poor, and follow me. And I'm sure the rich and really like, but wait, 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 Job didn't have to do that. Abraham didn't have to do that. Moses didn't have to do that. Daniel didn't have to do that. And Christ says, I know they did it. But for you, just when you think you got it down, just when you think you're ready for translation, just when you think the fiery chariot, the fiery limo is going to pick you up at your, at your front door, God says, I got something for you that's custom just for you. It's something you struggle with that nobody knows about but me. There's something that you love that you trust more than me. So I'm going to give you a commandment you've never read in the law before or in the prophets or in the Psalms. Sell all you have. Give the money to the poor and follow me. Matthew, when he tells this story, says that young man went away sad because he had much. Jesus then famously says it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. The disciples say, but Lord, we gave up everything. Well, 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 well we've, we've given up everything. Even they are fooled, right? We, we've done it, right? We, 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 they didn't even have money. We've done it. We've left our families. We've left our businesses. We, we've left what we have. I mean, we're perfect. These men stepped to Jesus saying, hey, we've done it, right? We've done it. And Christ knows they will also run away. They will also get to the point where they're not willing to give everything. So Christ looks at them and he says this and he says it to us today. With man, this is impossible. It's impossible. It's impossible to be perfect. It's impossible to be good. It's impossible to be righteous. It's impossible. Your greatest effort, filthy rags. Paul, when he was talking about being holy and righteous, was bragging. He's like, man, tribe of Benjamin, hello? A Pharisee, like straight up, y'all couldn't roll with me. (laughs) Paul begins to list his lineage, yeah, fifth generation. All right, I've done it all. I've read Spirit of Prophecy. I've, I've never been late for Sabbath school, all right? I not only was a pathfinder, I'm a pathfinder leader. You can't touch this. <laughs> Paul begins to list how he was, he says, man, I was so down for God. I was even persecuting people following Christ. I, listen, you couldn't get better than me. After coming to know Christ, Paul looked at his righteousness and he calls it in the Greek a four-letter word. We translate it as done or manure. That sounds holier. (laughs) 
But when Paul wrote it, and they were reading it in church, they had to do this. Oh, um, mm. that was strong language there, Mr. Paul. But Paul tried to find the worst word in the vocabulary to describe his righteousness, just as the prophets in the Old Testament found one of the most embarrassing, like, you know, humiliating, uh, uh, kind of shameful thing in that culture to even think of. And they said that my righteousness are the rags that are used during ministration, that, 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 that when a woman is going through this particular period that this is what they use and that is what and that culture was like no 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 they're not even allowed to come to the temple like this they can't come into any synagogue they should even leave the house and they say that's our stuff that's what it is filthy rags soaked up with see I can't even go there There's only one who is good. So what do we do with this, family? You're a bad tree. I'm a bad tree. Jonah's a bad tree. John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born of a woman, also a bad tree. <laughs> this man saw Jesus and said, can't even lace his sandals. Behold the Lamb of God. But a few nights in a dungeon, he's sending Jesus a text message saying, are you really the man? Or should we be looking for another? Bad, 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 bad. I see you in the balcony, bad. <laughs> the beautiful thing is Christ didn't ask us to do what he knows we're incapable of doing. That's why, as we read last night in Romans chapter 5, it wasn't our righteous act, but his righteous act. It wasn't our obedience that justified us. It was his obedience that justified us. When Christ says a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, he wasn't really referring to us. He's referring to himself. There's only one who is good. So, Pastor Henderson, then what do we do if he's the true light and he is really the true salt of the earth and he's, only the, he's the really only good shepherd and he's the bread of life, like he's the real deal, he's the word, he's the truth, he's all the good stuff and the perfect stuff, then what can we do? What part do we play? Listen, this is the beautiful part. We are not the real deal, just like Paul says in Corinthians uh, uh, 10, 1, that, you know, he says, I'm an imitator, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is all we can hope to be, and that hope is found in John 15. It's not to be the vine, but to be a branch, a part of the vine, Amen. right? It's not that we are the good tree, but we get to be a branch connected to the good tree, Amen. right? That's the difference. The reason why we bear good fruit isn't because we're a good tree. We bear good fruit because he's the good tree. He's the true vine. Branches don't get to brag. Branches don't get to say, yo, you see that food I put out? That's what I'm talking about. That's why Jesus says in John 15, remain in me and I will remain in you. If you choose not to remain in me, you, you're like a branch that is cut off and withers away. 
Now, God never cuts you off, right? He's using an illustration that they could identify with because a branch that isn't being fruitful is, was cut off by, by the vine dresser, by the gardener. He says, but, but he tells us how we're cut off. If you remain in me, the decision to be cut off from God is never God's decision. It's our decision. He says, remain in me. You see, it, for, for you, if, you, if you're cut off from me, if you don't remain in me, you can do Nothing. That's why he can say to the disciples, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all. Not some, not just a few, but all things are possible. I know right now some of you are saying, but, but Pastor Henderson, when we get to the end of times, so oh, don't we have to stand on our own and we have to make sure that we have overcome sin? Y'all ain't ever going to overcome sin. If you could overcome sin, you wouldn't have needed a a savior. Hello? He overcame sin. He came to destroy the power of the devil. He came to dispel darkness. He was the only one who could do it. We learned this when we read Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God had spoken through many different people, through many different prophets and dreams and visions, but now in these last days, he speaks to us through his Son, who is the perfect radiance of God's glory, the perfect representation of God's exact being. Only Jesus, no one else. Even Moses, who could eventually see God face to face and talk to him like a friend, even Moses was so messed up that God's like, man, bro, at the end of the finish line, I can't even let you in. I can't even let you into the promised land. Think about this for a second. Moses' sin was so great that he couldn't even get into the promised land, but God's grace is so great that he could get into heaven. Hello? Hello? We learned this last night when we read Romans chapter 5, where sin abounds, grace that much more abounds. You cannot outsin His grace. There are things that we do on this earth that will cost us things on this earth that will not cost us in heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Remain in me and I will remain in you. If you remain connected to me, then you will bear much fruit. You're not a good tree. You can't be a good tree. There's only one who is good. Remain in him. Now let's read this text again. Let's go back to 1 John and let's read this text again. Let's see if it reads a little bit differently. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. It is not because we loved him that we're called the children of God. It's because he loved us that we are called the children of God. We read that in John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, where it says because of Christ coming to this earth that we could be adopted as children of God, not born, not born, not born of human decision, but because of God's decision. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children, now that we know we're children of God, what we will be has not yet been made known. He's given us a clue here. In other words, we have not arrived yet. Hello? 
What we will be, what we will be has still not yet been made known. Isn't that something? In fact, I know somebody. I call her my auntie. Auntie Ellen says that, that, that sanctification is a work of a... Oh, you know that. A work of a lifetime. So why are you trying to force people to do a lifetime's work in a year? Wow. Or in five years? Leave them alone. You're not the gardener. Let them come into this church. But Pastor Henderson, I, we do not want their fruit to contaminate. The church is a place for the vine dresser to do his work. But look at them. They're not bearing fruit. That's not your responsibility. That's the gardener's responsibility. You can judge them if you want to, but let me tell you something. They're not a finished product. What they will be has not yet been made known. So leave them alone. But they're going to come into this church with their stuff and doing their stuff and thinking they're okay. Look at them. And they're even bringing their friend with them. Look at them. Leave them alone. They've come to a hospital, nurse. You turn away sick people that come to the hospital. They don't even think they're sick, pastor. That's my problem. I know I've gone to the hospital not knowing I was sick until a doctor examined me. Hello? Let them come. Let the physician examine them. Put their clip chart down. Stop trying to diagnose them. You're not the physician. And you got a gown on with your stuff hanging out in the back as well. What they will be has not yet been made known. What you will be has not yet been made known. Everyone who sins breaks the law. We know that even Jesus says in John chapter 8 that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, right? Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But a slave does not last forever. A slave is not permanent. If the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. For a son, he says, lasts forever. Yes, we're slaves. Yes, we're bad trees. Yes, we've broken the law. We get it. We get it. But Christ has come that he might take away our sins. Isn't that beautiful? He's going to take them away. Not us. He's going to do it. And in him is no sin. He's the only one that can claim that. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. You know why we don't keep on sinning if we live in him, if we remain in him? Because we're connected to the true vine. When we are judged in the end, we're judged not as a branch. We're judged as the tree. And Jesus is the only good tree. He's judged on our behalf. He's already paid the price for our sins. And now because of his perfect, righteous life, he will be the one that's judged, not us. That's a good word. So, dear children, do not any, don't allow anyone to leave you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's what? Seed remains in them. Church family, we're closing on this. God has placed a seed in you. And what you will be has not yet been made known.
A seed is not the finished product, is it? A seed is not the finished product. And no seed is judged, right, when, it, when it's in the soil because it's not a full mustard tree. Like, what's the matter with you, seed? You're such a loser. No. Give the seed time. It's a work of a lifetime. Let the gardener do what he's trained to do. And yes, there may be some sins you overcame earlier in your Christian walk, and that's your experience. But your experience is not their experience. Can we be a church that is safe for people to come here, where we give them time to grow in Christ? Can we allow them to come with their rebellious spirit, their doubts and their cynicism, their agnosticism, can we allow them to come into this church and say, here in this place, you can grow. I am not a good tree, but I know who the good tree is. And I'm a person who has borne really bad fruit, but I now know how to bear good fruit. And it's not because of something I can do. It's all because of what Christ can do. And my only challenge every single day is to simply remain in him. Not to even tell myself, bear, bear good fruit. You got to bear good fruit today. No, no. My only task, your only task every single morning is to wake up and say, Jesus, I just want to stay connected to you. I want to hold on to you today. The fruit part comes naturally. So stop your withering away and cling to the only good tree. Cling to the cross. Cling to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the challenge you have given us we want to do better. Father, we want to do good. But like Paul in Romans 7, the things we want to do, we just don't do that we know are good. Instead, we do the things that we hate. Oh, what a wretched person we are. Who will rescue us from this body that is taking us to death? Oh, thanks be to God who does this through Jesus Christ. So we cling to you, Jesus, the only good teacher, the only good rabbi, the only good person, the only perfect, the only holy, the only true vine, the only true light, the only true salt. We cling to you because you alone are righteous and you alone are holy. And so we just want to be a branch that's just connected. We want to remain in you. And you be responsible for our fruitfulness. You prune us. You work on us. You fashion us. You sanctify us just as you have justified us. You do it so that one day we will see what you were making us to be. We will finally see the final product. We'll be glorified. So thank you for the seed that you've given us. We see it working. We see it growing. And we can't wait to see when you come again the final masterpiece. What you were able to do with sinners, what you were able to do with bad trees, 
Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, 